All right. If you got your Bibles, open up to Revelation chapter 6. I didn't need that yet anyways. All right. So, Revelation chapter 6. Last week, uh, the part of the story of Revelation that we saw um, was that vision of the throne room in heaven when the scroll was presented and the uh, angels or the living beast said, there is no one who can open the scroll. John began to weep. Then Jesus came on the scene and Jesus could open the scroll. Now, the scroll we talked about was kind of the the declaration of the end times, kind of what we see throughout the book of Revelation. And so the scroll had seven seals on it. And so tonight, we are looking at the breaking of six of those seals. That's what occurs in in Revelation chapter 6. The seventh seal isn't broken until Revelation chapter 8. And so what this serves for us is a... <clears throat> kind of a, in an introduction. If you have a book, a lot of times you open it up, there's an introduction that, uh, depending on the type of the book, kind of gives you some, uh, some headway into what is coming in the book. Maybe it introduces characters if it's a work of, uh, of, of fiction. If it's um, nonfiction, it kind of uh, maybe gives you a, a little bit of information into what the topic is. But the introduction kind of paints the picture. The introduction kind of gets you ready. And so, as we read through chapter 6, as we see the breaking of these seals, they are um, not necessarily things that are happening chronologically, but it's just kind of the, the big picture overview of this is some of the stuff leading us up to the end. In fact, when he breaks the sixth seal, it kind of lays out the end in just kind of uh, a few sentences what the rest of the book of Revelation does in multiple, multiple chapters. So it just kind of gives us this picture. It kind of prepares us for this scroll to be open. And as the scroll is open and we see the trumpets and we see the uh, the bowls of wrath poured out and we see all of this other stuff come to pass, we see the the Antichrist, we see uh, the victory, we see the establishment of the new heaven and new earth. Once we see all this other stuff, he's kind of got it all summed up into just uh, a couple of sentences. So we see this chapter 6 here is just preparing us, or kind of the introduction uh, for the scroll that is to be open. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, in Matthew chapter 24, that's the, the passage where uh, Jesus kind of goes through and he says, Look, don't let yourself be deceived. Here's what to look for in the end times. And he goes through all the stuff that, that's going to happen. He kind of gives this kind of summation of things to be looking for before he comes back, before that second coming of Christ. And in Matthew 24, 7 through 8, he says this, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And so what we see here is kind of the beginning of the birth pains. What we see with these these seals being undone is the beginning of the birth pains, getting us ready for the, the, the stuff that's about to happen. So let's start in chapter 6. Let's read verses... Um, Let's read verses 1 through 8. Then we'll stop, we'll kind of go over that, and then we'll read the next set of verses. Um, All right, let's read. It says, Now I watched with the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, 
And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in its hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by a wild beast of the earth. Let's pray before we move forward. Father God, we come before you now, and I pray that as we look at your word, I pray that as we look at your truth, Father God, give us understanding, Father God, and just guide us to see how this uh, impacts us and prepares us for the future. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Okay, so whenever we see these uh, seven things that happen in the book of Revelation, we've got the, uh, the, the seven seals, you've got seven trumpets, you've got the, the seven bowls of God's wrath, they're divided up into four and three. And so right here, the first four that we see are grouped together in what are typically called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, that these are kind of uh, the four that kind of lead the way into the end times. So... Let's just kind of go through and look at them. And just kind of a heads up, we'll spend uh, a little bit of time on the first one because that's the one where there's a little bit of, not confusion, but there can be openness for debate. Um, but the next ones we just kind of really run through because, because there's not just much there. It kind of tells us who they are and what they're there for. So the first one it says in verses 1 and 2, Uh, Well, really in verse 2 it says, And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now, there's a couple of things for us to to look at and to discuss when we try to define or decide who this rider is on this white horse, because there's a couple of different uh, thoughts. And so we need to kind of figure out where we're going to stay. One thought is that this is Christ. Uh, There's the picture of the white horse. uh, There's the crown. And in Revelation chapter 19, uh, we have a picture of Christ. And it talks about how He is on the white horse. How He has the multitude of crowns. How He has the sword coming out of His mouth. How He has that sash. um, And written on His his thighs or on His legs or or, or, or these names. And so uh, there are some who would say because of the white horse, uh, the same picture is uh, that of Christ in chapter 19. So this is Jesus. The problem with that view is the only real similarities between this and Revelation chapter 19 is the white horse. 
That's really the only similarity. Um, this rider has a, uh, has a crown. Uh, the rider in chapter 19, which we know to be Christ, has, it says that he has many crowns. Uh, Jesus in, in chapter 19 has a sword coming out of his mouth, which is his word. Uh, here in, Roman, in Revelation chapter 6, the rider has a bow. And so um, chances are this is not supposed to be a picture of Jesus. Also, contextually, it doesn't really fit. Now, this is the only writer that does not necessarily bring a woe with it or some kind of negative, but he is, all these writers are grouped together. And so uh, the second writer is death, the third writer is, is famine, and the, or I'm sorry, the second writer is war, the, the third writer is famine, uh, and the fourth writer is death. All of these are forces that God is using to execute His judgment against a sinful mankind that is on the earth. And so Jesus does not fit into that context or into that picture with the other four writers. So if it's not Jesus, another thought or another idea that comes to mind or that the commentators like to, to talk about or discuss is that this is a picture of the Antichrist, that this is uh, this false Christ. And so therefore, he's on the white horse. He's trying to carry out some of the, um, the same picture of Jesus, uh, but this is not Jesus, that this is the Antichrist. Well, one, we're not introduced to the Antichrist yet, but two, uh, contextually, that doesn't really necessarily fit because the other three are not specific people. They are not specific um, characters. The, uh, the writer for war is not a specific general or person. The writer for uh, famine is not a specific person, but these are, are concepts and ideas that are being represented as God pours out His judgment. And so what... I think is, is arguably uh, probably the most best fit, most best, that doesn't make sense, but the best fit um, is that this is a picture of conquest. This is a picture of uh, military conquest or militaries going out to establish their authority. There's a couple of things in the picture that tell us this or in the passage. One, when it says the rider had a bow. There were a group of people called the Parthians. I wanted to make sure I got their name right. The Parthians uh, who were enemies of the Roman Empire. And they were a warlike people, constantly going out to war, constantly going out against other nations. And they were known for their bow, their bow and arrow. They, uh, that was their, their chief weapon. That's how they fought. And they were incredibly successful with it and incredibly efficient with it. So remember... In this letter, John is writing to specific, or he's writing to a specific group of churches, specific people. So part of this has to do with them right now. They kind of their imagery that they can get, imagery that they can picture, imagery that they understand, while it's also pointing us to things that are going to happen in the future. So as he mentions this bow, it would have brought up to mind the Parthians, and not that the Parthians, um, this group of people, are the uh, the rider of the white horse, but but what they represent. Uh, a warlike people going out to conquer, going out to dominate, going out to fight is representative of this white horse. 
And if you follow these kind of logically, the four horses, they build off of one another. Uh, if, if this is what this uh, horse represents, the rider this horse represents, that this is military conquest, this is uh, nations beginning to go out to fight or getting ready to go fight, then that brings us to the next rider, which is war. As nations go out, as they go out to conquer, as they go out to defeat, as they go out to beat other nations up, it always or it leads to war. Also in verse 6 or verse 2, it tells us the crown was given to him and he came out to conquer, or he came out conquering and to conquer. Once again, that gives us that picture of the militaries going out. And it leads us to the breaking of the second seal. Verse 3. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. So if the, the white rider, the rider of the white horse is uh, conquering and, and, and military is going out to conquer, that leads to war. And this rider, this horse was given the ability to take away Peace, the ability to lead people to the murder and the killing of each other. That is war. Now, a couple of things that I want us to see here as we look at this. I just kind of want us to keep in the back of our mind. Remember that there was only one who was worthy to break the seals, and that was the Lamb. So everything that is happening is happening with these riders, with these wars. It is happening at the behest of Christ. It is happening because Jesus Christ is removing these seals. These are the things that must take place, that must happen. Remember, that's what he told John in chapter 4, verse 1, when he said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place for the end of the world. These are the things, as tragic as they may be, that must take place. That's what Jesus said in Matthew. Matthew 24, this is the stuff, the beginning of the birth pains, nations against nations, kingdom against kingdoms, famines and earthquakes in various places. So this is um, happening not outside of God's will, not outside of God's control, not outside of God's authority, but really fitting directly into God's authority and control. One commentator I read said that what we have here too is, yes, it's the breaking of the seal. And so, yes, this is happening under God's provision and under God's authority. But it's also kind of a natural inclination or kind of a natural progression of men. If mankind in his sinfulness, in her sinfulness, goes out to conquer, goes out to take what is not theirs, goes out as nation against nation, that leads to war, which leads to... um, the, the travesties against the people, the black horse and its rider, which is famine, and it leads to death. And so this is almost the same picture that we have in Romans chapter 1, where Paul talks about how um, that God gives men, or men over to their sin and mankind over to their sin when they reject God. This is almost that same picture of people who have rejected God and God bringing that judgment. And as that judgment comes, yes, God's going to pour out His wrath. And yes, those trumpets are going to blow <clears throat> and things are going to happen. But also God is just allowing mankind to be mankind. And mankind, when we do not have the, the guidance or the control or the guidelines of God, in our life, of Christ in our life, and our sin is allowed to run rampant. It always leads to death, which is where these four horsemen ultimately lead. 
All right, so the first would be uh, conquest or uh, um, one commentator. All right, let me see if I can. Um, he said that the white horse is conquest in general and the red is war in particular. I thought that was a good statement that kind of helps define those two. And that leads us to the third in verses 5 and 6. It says, when he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature, the third living creature say, come, and I looked. And behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. Excuse me. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. So this pictures famine. And as there's war throughout history, during wars, especially during this time, in order to weaken the enemy, they would oftentimes burn the fields and burn the crops and take the land so that the people who were left would be left to starve and left to to not have the ability to provide for themselves. And so the the description that we have here of the, the weight of the... Uh, with the scales and then the quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. A quart of wheat is what was taken to be a to feed one person for one day. That would be enough to feed one person. And a denarius was a day's work. It was a silver coin, and that represented your day's work. You worked that day, you get a denarius. That was your, your eight-hour day. That was your salary for that day. So the picture that he's picturing, or picturing here is if you've got a family of, say, five or six or ten, they had big families back then, uh, you could work all day long and not have enough to prepare or to provide for your family, to not have enough to provide for those that you cared for, that the people were under such pressure. The people are under such oppression. And really, if we're looking at this prophetically, the people are going to be under such oppression because of war, because of sinfulness that takes over. It will lead to this famine, to this um, weakening of the people. So you have conquest, you have war, which leads to famine, which leads to death. The fourth seal. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were giving authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. All of this conquest, all of this war, all of this famine leads to death. And not only death, but it says a quarter of the population, a quarter of the people will be swallowed up in death because of this sinfulness. As the end times come, at least a quarter of the people will fall prey to this. Now once again... God is in control of all this. It's the four living creatures that are saying come. It is Jesus that is tearing open the the seals But all the things that are happening are happening as a result of sin. All that is happening is happening as a result of the sinfulness of man. And what James tells us is that when sin, it might it starts with a temptation, it starts with a thought, but once it is fully grown into an action, into an activity, it always brings about death. When you allow man to 
To be men with no confines of grace, with no confines of of God's provision, with no confines of of God's word, with no confines of of God being at work there. And God just kind of pulls back and pulls off the reins and allows people to be people and mankind to be mankind. This is the direction that it brings us. And so as we look at the end times, as we look at kind of when the, the scroll is open and we see kind of the, the prophecy laid out of what is to come and we see uh, the end times spelled out for us in these next several chapters, one of the themes that runs through that is the sinfulness of man and the death and the destruction that that brings us. And it's a reminder, uh, what we'll see here in a second when we get to judgment, when we get to the sixth seal, it's a reminder that people desperately need God, that people desperately need Christ. But one of the themes that we see throughout the book of Revelation is no matter what happens, no matter what signs God gives, no matter what tragedies God brings upon the earth, people still reject God. They still flee from God. And whenever we reject and flee from God or from Christ, it always leads to death. All right, so let's look at the fifth seal, verses 9 through 11. It says this, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out in a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long will you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. All right, so there's a couple of things that we see here when the fifth seal is broken. We are taken off of the earth. We're taken away from the the four horsemen and and the tragedy and the travesty that they bring to the earth. And we are brought up and given a picture in heaven. And in this picture, we see um, under the altar the souls of those who have been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. This is a picture of those who had been sacrificed, those who had been martyred for their faith, those who had died proclaiming the gospel, those who had died proclaiming Jesus Christ, those who had died simply doing and being what God had called them to do and to be. Now, remember during this time, uh, John had them and them, they have come out of a time of persecution and they are about to head into historically a great time of persecution against Christians. You've got uh, Nero who used to, uh, when Rome burnt down or part of Rome burnt down, he blamed the Christians. He used to, to use Christians. He would impale them and light them on fire and use them to light his garden parties. You had um, Domitian and other emperor rulers who would uh, use Christians that before the gladiators would fight in the Colosseum. Christians would be paraded out and either be sacrificed to uh, wild animals or killed by the gladiators as, uh, as sport to get the people riled up, to get their bloodlust uh, ready to see the fighting the gladiators. And Christians had experience and were about to experience a lot of persecution. 
And so historically with John, not only were they experiencing persecution, but even throughout the Gospels and throughout the New Testament, there has been a promise that Christians will be persecuted. Jesus told his disciples, look, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Understand if they tried to kill me, they're going to try to kill you. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, I think, believe it's 3.12, he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will will be persecuted. There's a promise throughout Scripture that Christians, because we are strangers and aliens, because we stand for light in a dark world and darkness hates the light, we have been promised that persecution is to be expected for believers. And throughout history, throughout the history of the church, Christians all over the world have been persecuted. They have been killed. They have been murdered. They have been slaughtered simply because of their faith. Even now, in parts of the Middle East, in parts of, of, of Asia, Christians are killed simply for being Christians, simply for believing in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. So this picture that we get here in heaven... What I believe is this is a picture of all the Christians up till this point um, that have been crucified or have been killed or martyred, not just crucified, have been killed and martyred for their faith. And they're crying out to God uh, for, for vindication. And we'll get to this and we'll come back and get to that in a second. Saying, how long, O oh Lord, how long uh, until you um, basically take care of our enemies? How long, um, O oh sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then Jesus' response, or the Lord's response, is not until the number is complete. Not until your brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So not only in this end time, and not only once we look through the book of Revelation, not only are we going to see that there's going to be uh, these wars, that God is going to use this to bring about His judgment on mankind or punishment on mankind for rejecting Jesus Christ, but we also see that there's going to be persecution. That for believers who are here during the end times, that there will be a time when they are considered the enemy, and there will be a great persecution among those who claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We'll see in the next couple of um, chapters how there's the 144,000, those witnesses that go out, 12,000 from each tribe that go out taking the gospel. And in that time, believers, old and new, are going to be persecuted for their faith. And so in this fifth seal, uh, this declaration is, yes, there's going to be judgment on the earth, but also there's going to be persecution against believers. Now, in this persecution, the people are crying out, O oh, sovereign Lord, how long um, until you judge? <clears throat> how long will you judge the, uh, and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? <clears throat> As you read different commentaries and you see different people, there's, 
There's a discussion here. Are the people crying out for vengeance? Are they, they crying out saying, we were wrong, bring us vengeance? Or are they crying out for vindication, saying, we have stood by you, we have stood by you in our faith? When will you make our faith come true? When are we actually going to see the fact that Jesus is the only way and that there is judgment for those who reject you? And so they're not crying out for vengeance. They're not crying out angrily. They're not crying out in bitterness because that would go against Scripture. And if these people are already in heaven, then that declares that they have, have been uh, erased. Their sin nature has been gone. Their sin nature has been erased. They've been made perfect. They've been made whole. They've been made complete. So this is a, a cry for vindication. It's the same thing in Luke chapter 18 when Jesus gives the, um, the parable of the judge who stands for what is right, who stands for what is true. It says this in verse 7, And will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? What they're crying out for is not vengeance. It's not bitterness. It's not angry. It's vindication and it's justice. It's saying, God, we have trusted you. We have trusted in Christ. When is this going to be made complete? When is this going to be made whole? When is the end time going to be to when our faith is made real or our faith is made sight? When is it going to be made whole that we no longer have to worry about sin, that the the mankind, that creation, your creation is perfected and made whole? They're not crying out for judgment against those who had wronged them. They're crying out for the fulfillment of God's plan. Even if that means judgment coming across, they're crying out not out of bitterness, but out of vindication for their faith. And then in the sixth seal, we have what we see is the basically the overview of the end of the world. Verse 12 says, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Now, all throughout Scripture, there, whenever there's a work of God, a lot of times you see earthquakes. It says, And the sun became black as sackcloth, the moon became like blood, and the stars fell out of the earth, and, and as the fig tree, excuse me, as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale, the sky vanished like a scroll. Uh, that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone slave and free, hid themselves in the cave and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, who can stand? This is an overview reminding us that in this end time, as the the scroll is open, as this uh, prophecy is told of what is to come, as the end times are kind of spelled out for us, we see that God's wrath is being poured out, the wrath of the Lamb. And God's power is being shown. And those who had rejected God and those who had fought against the Lamb, those who had fought against Christ and those who had rejected Him are now from young to old, from rich to poor, from powerful uh, to those who have no power and no worth, those who would be considered slaves. They are hiding. They are trying to hide, saying, please rescue us. Fall on us rocks. Fall on us mountains. It is better than that than we face the wrath of God. 
And it is a picture of what is to come as we see the revelation, as we see the end time. For those who know Jesus, for those, um, the ones who are in heaven, the, the persecuted that we just saw, for them, they cry out for the end times. They cry out for uh, the coming of Christ. So that is the vindication of their faith. Everything that we have believed has come true. Everything that we have believed has been declared. Everything that we believe has been shown and justified. And we have been justified in our belief. For the Christian, the second coming, for the Christian, the end time is a great and it is a glorious thing. But for those who do not know Jesus, those who would be considered His enemies because they have constantly rejected Him, they have this fear. They have this foreboding. They have this trying to hide, begging, calling out for the mountains and the rocks to fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of of the Lamb, because who can stand it? So yes, as believers, we look at the end time and we declare, yes, we win. We know the end for us. There might be difficulty getting there, but we understand the end for us is a great, great thing. But for those who do not, it's a time of fear. It is a time of terror as the wrath of God is being poured out on them. Now, As I was studying, I don't usually read to y'all a lot from commentaries, but um, this author ended this part. I thought what he said kind of wrapped everything up very well, much better than I could say it. So I want to read it. It's not terribly long, about half a page, but try to to pay attention because he does a good job. He says this, However, he's talking about this last verse. He goes, John does not go on to describe the end itself and the coming of the Lord as we might expect. Instead, he continues to relate certain events which immediately precede the end. In fact, when the seventh seal is broken in chapter 8, verse 1, there is no single woe which follows. Instead, John relates the sounding of the seven trumpets and the woes which accompany them, and then the the emptying of the seven bowls and their woes. This is constant with our understanding of the seven seals. We have interpreted the seals to represent forces um, which will be at work throughout the course of the age and which are only preparatory to the opening of the book. The breaking of each of the seals does not witness the opening of part of the book, chapter by chapter as it were. All of the seals are preliminary to opening the book. The sixth seal brings us to the threshold of the opening of the book and the great events of the end. The breaking of the seventh seal makes it possible for the book to be opened and its contents disclosed. The book contains the prophecies of the end of the world, but the end is not a single event, but consists of a whole complex of events. It includes the outpouring of God's wrath upon a rebellious civilization, the judgment of the Antichrist, the destruction of his hosts, as well as the resurrection of the dead and the establishment of the kingdom of God. So we may conclude that the sixth seal brings us to the threshold of the end. And when John stands back, as it were, to tell the story of the end in greater detail, the breaking of the seventh seal opens the book and begins the story of the events of the end time. This is the substance and the remainder of the revelation. And so as we get to the sixth seal, this is where we're going to stop tonight because the seventh seal isn't until chapter 8. As we stop tonight, we're stopping there on the threshold before the book is open. Stopping there on the threshold before this judgment is laid out. So as we stop here, a couple of things for us to walk away with and to remember. 
One, when all of this is going on, whether it be the judgment against the, uh, the, the people, whether it be the, the believers who are martyred, whether it be uh, those at the end who are going to be hiding from the wrath of God, saying, who can stand it? Uh, hiding from God's faith or the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus is in control at all of this. When the first four uh, seals are open, we see that those four creatures who are bowing down to Jesus in chapter 5, they are the ones, as Jesus breaks the seal, who are crying out, Come, and the riders come forth. God is in control of all of this. None of this happens outside of His power or outside of His control. So it's a reminder for us, like we talked about this morning, that the God that we serve sits on His throne and He is in charge and in control of all things. Secondly, we need to walk away remembering the end time for those who know Jesus. If we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the end time is a... It's a good time. There's scary stuff in the book. There's crazy stuff in the book. But in the end, we understand that there's going to be the new kingdom or the new heaven, the new earth, and we will be with God for eternity. But for those who do not know, the picture that we have at the end of chapter 6 of those hiding, saying, hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne. The end time is a time of terror because it is a time of judgment. So we need to let this remind us, not just, hey, we talked about the seals, this is what everything means, but we need to let this remind us that there are those who desperately need Jesus. Because if they don't, it doesn't just mean that they don't go to church. It means their eternity is sealed in a horribly, horrible, horrible way. So let's leave tonight remembering the power of Christ who is seated on His throne and the power of the gospel that can change hearts and change lives. As we go to pray to close out as we have been doing on Sunday nights, I want us just to take a moment just privately where you're at, sitting in your chair, spend some time thanking God that He is in control, and spend time praying for those who you know need Jesus Christ. And then I will close us out in a word of prayer in about a minute. Father God, we come before you now and thank you that you are always in control. God, that as you are the one who is sitting on the throne, as Christ is the one who is worthy to open the lamb, to open the scroll. Father God, we thank you that you are in control of all things. And Father God, we don't have to worry or fear the future, wondering what's going to happen, because we know that you've already got it planned out and you've got it worked out and you can be trusted. Father God, let us trust, God, not just at the end times that you're in control, but let us trust that every day of our life, God, that you are in control. God, that you are seated on your throne, you do as you please. And Father God, you are one that we can trust with our life. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would remind us, use this to remind us, God, that there are people who desperately need you. They need your grace, they need your forgiveness, just as we do. Father God, and as we have embraced it, God, give us every opportunity and let us take every opportunity that you give us. God, to share with others your love and your grace and God, how life is found only in you. Father God, I pray, Lord, that if anyone that we know has to undergo the end times, Father God, and the punishment and the wrath and the fear that comes along with that, Father God, if they know us, God, at least let them have heard the gospel, God. At least let them know that in the midst of this, there's someone that they can cry out to. And Father God, we pray that you would give us every opportunity to share the gospel with those around us, with those who are in need. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.